morning. It's uh, good to have you with us this morning on this Lord's Day. And as we gather today, it's just a good reminder to remember that this is God's design, that His people gather to worship Him on the first day of the week. And uh, in His love and in His grace, He has uh, made that so. Uh, but this is even more important in these times in, in which we live, to, to keep our focus upon Him. And so thank you for being with us this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, whether you're watching us on our website at kotp.org or on our YouTube channel at Kirk of the Plains, uh, there are some links around the video where you can uh, uh, download a copy of the worship guide that we'll be using today to go through the worship service as well as some other links that you can look at as well. And while the, you check those out this morning, I, I do want to say uh, we're really excited to see uh, some of the states uh, considering opening up and, and we are taking into consideration um, the things that our governor has uh, laid out for us in the plan. And so we're gonna be thinking about uh, at some point in the future, we don't know exactly when, when we might be able to gather again, but we'll be communicating those things with you and uh, probably sending you surveys and questions and contacting you. And so we would appreciate your help in responding to those things so that we can come up with a wise and, and safe plan for a day when we could gather again in person and worship the Lord together. And so we appreciate your help in regards to that. In the meantime, we'll continue our online meetings on Sundays mornings at 9.30, our children's Sunday school, 10.45 worship, and then 3 p.m., our adult Sunday school class. So we hope you can join us then. And then on Wednesday nights at 7.30 for our Bible study and our prayer time. So. Uh, we're just very thankful that the Lord has uh, allowed us to continue to meet and to encourage one another and to study His Word. So, um, thank you very much. Well, it is good to be here this morning and to, to worship together. I'd like to ask you, if you would, just to take a few moments. I know that a lot, a lot of things have been going on this week. And just ask that you would bow your heads for a time of silence and preparation as we come into God's presence this morning. Please bow with me. Amen. Please stand for our call to worship from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lifting up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on his high is mighty. Let us uh, rejoice this morning in the mighty power of our God as we uh, sing number 250. I sing the mighty power of God.
Please bow with me if you would. We pray. Oh God, we, we come to you this morning and recognize that you are the one who rules over all things. We're so grateful, God, that you are the victorious conqueror who rules over all your enemies and all those of your people. But we are also thankful, God, as we come this morning to think that you are the one who even rules over the hearts of your people. And so we plead with you this morning, God, that you would come and rule over us. And Father, that you might expose any allegiances, any loves, any affections that we have set upon any other than you. And Lord, pray that you would free us from these things by your mighty power. Set us free to find full and complete satisfaction in you and in you alone. Show us how true that you are our, our, our first and uh, primary uh, focus of our lives. We thank you. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. This morning, as we affirm our faith together, uh, we are going to be turning to the Westminster Larger Catechism. We oftentimes, we've worked our way through the Shorter Catechism, but there are many topics in the Larger Catechism that the Shorter Catechism doesn't focus upon. But there will be some overlap as well. So things will, will sound familiar and yet very different. And so this morning, as we begin, let's begin with what our, our primary purpose is. So let me ask you, what is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. How doth it appear that there is a God? The very light of nature and man and the works of God declare plainly that there is a God. But his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. Amen. You may be seated. As you are, please take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 17. And we'll continue on in our reading of, of the, the, um, the progress of God's people in the wilderness. Exodus 17 verses 8 through 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and find fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under, the from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Man, thus ends the reading of God's Word. Let's uh, turn our attention to God in prayer this morning. Please bow with me if you would. 
Our Father in heaven, as we come to you this morning and in the hearing of your word, we realize that, that we're not really so different from the Israelites who were untrained in battle and of war. And of course, the battles that we fight are not physical ones as they did, rather spiritual against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. But God, as we come before you this morning, we confess that oh, too often in the struggles that we have in this life that we oftentimes don't even recognize the battles that we have as, as those that are spiritual. Be it problems in our relationships with others, even with our spouses that we have sworn to, to love and to cherish. Lord, whether it be the struggles with our, our children or their fights with each other, problems at work or even the difficulties of, of trying to work from home, we face so much adversity, God, that we just sort of take it for granted that that's just what life is all about. And so oftentimes, Lord, we, we just find ourselves in our own wisdom and our own thinking, just trying to figure out how to solve these things rather than looking to you, God, to be our strength. And so please forgive us for the ways that we have dishonored your name by failing to recognize our weakness in the midst of life's difficulties and crying out to you for help. For failing, Lord, to, to look to you for solutions when your solution uh, oftentimes contradicts our wisdom because your wisdom is so much greater than ours. And, and yet, God, we are satisfied to try to figure out our own solutions. Please forgive us. Jesus, please um, cause us to turn <coughs> from our sin of self-sufficiency and instead to, to trust in you. Uh, show us our weakness and, and drive us to depend upon you and to live by your grace. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. As we uh, come to the Lord this morning, we know that he is as a gracious God that hears our prayers. And as we come and confess our sins, uh, and we truly ask for that forgiveness, that he does forgive us. As a matter of fact, we have this assurance from his word. In Romans 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to the, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, praise be to God that He has given us His promise of His Spirit who indwells His people and gives us forgiveness. It is in Christ alone that we can rejoice in these things. So let's continue to worship as we stand and sing in Christ alone, number 265.
having uh, sung of God's wonderful grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, now let us turn attention to our New Testament reading that talks about his extravagant grace and mercy that he shows to his people. From Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and in the, the parable of the labors in the vineyard. So hear now God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. But he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to, the, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Amen. A sense of reading of God's word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how we, we praise and thank you, Father, that you are God who is mighty in strength and who is fully understands the frailties and the fears that we face in our daily lives. And so we come to you to, to ask for your abundant grace and never failing strength so that we may face life's difficulties with confidence, knowing that your grace is sufficient to deal with every eventuality, for your strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. Lord, how, how we praise you that your good purposes toward your children never change. Thank you that you have promised to finish your good work in us and to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, to your praise and glory. So Lord, we pray that you would give us your grace and strength to face all the issues that we may encounter this day with a heart that is, is willing to pray. Lord, not our will be done, but your will be done. Help us to be living sacrifices to you, which we know can only be achieved as you do your work in us to cause us to die to self daily and to live moment by moment for Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray for that strength, that we could forego the, the desires of our own hearts and the things that seek to deceive us, but instead, Lord, that we might walk in your freedom. Lord, we, we praise and thank you that you are a mighty God to, to make us in the image of your Son, whom you love so much. And Father, we, we also, though, come to you and lift up 
the needs before us and before our country at this time. We pray for the different states as they seek to implement their, their plans for uh, what life ought to look like in the future. We are mere men, God. We don't know what will happen. And uh, so we pray for your guidance and, and your strength, that you would give us wisdom as a church and as families and, and communities to do that which is, is right and would be beneficial for our country. We pray, um, Lord, as well, continue to pray, Father, for those who are in need uh, financially or maybe in other ways that you would provide for them pray for your protection for the weak and for the elderly Lord I I pray this morning I just think of so many who have lost loved ones and and even in these times God is as awful as it is to have lost a loved one to not even be able to gather in groups with others who love and seek to support you and how difficult that must be. So we just pray for your comfort for these families and strength as well. Lord, we know that you do everything with a purpose. And so let us uh, not be consumed or overwhelmed with the circumstances that we face, but let us look to you, Lord, trusting that you will work all things out together for the good of those who love you and called according to your purpose. Let us to use our time wisely and know that you are God and it is you who have made us, and we are yours. We are your people, and we are the sheep of your pasture. And so, Lord, we come this morning to lift up our prayers to you, but also, God, to give you thanks for the gifts that we are about to give to you, uh, to worship you through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Please bless these, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. Let us uh, stand and sing the glory of Patri together. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 8. I'm not going to be preaching on all of these verses, uh, but we're coming to a, a, a place in the text that might need some explanation. Um, the author of Hebrews has been writing to his audience to explain to them who Christ is as their high priest, and particularly as the priest after the order of Melchizedek. But as he's in the middle of this explanation, he realizes that there are some, some grave problems that the people are not hearing. And so he, he stops in chapter 5, verse 11, through the end of chapter 6, to address this issue. And then we'll see as we come back to chapter 7 that he will then pick up with his discussion where he left off about Christ as the high priest. But, but in this parentheses, if you would, of the text that he gives as he's addressing this issue, he gives a strong warning in chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 8, and then he gives a gracious encouragement in chapter 6, verse 9 through 20. And so even though we're not going to be addressing uh, and covering the entirety of this warning this morning, I still want to read that text together 
to give us the context. So let us listen carefully to God's word this morning. About this, we may have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then to have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that has often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and it is and its end is to be burned. A sense of reading of God's word. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that we could come and stand before you this morning, much like Mary did as she sat at the feet of Jesus to hear him teach and instruct her. But Lord, as we come this morning, we know that our problem is not just one of education. God, it is one of a need of a changed heart of the work of your spirit in our lives. And so we pray, God, most powerfully for your your spirit to work in our hearts to, to not only hear but to receive your word this morning. Uh, we thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we're now almost two months into the COVID-19 pandemic and and I think for many of us, our lives have been affected in, in ways maybe that we had never ever expected. I mean, for some people, as I said earlier, they have lost loved ones and I can't imagine the difficulty that that's gone through. And I know that there's been families in the news who have lost multiple members uh, to this uh, awful disease. But even if you haven't experienced something quite that drastically, others have been unemployed or their employment has changed or, or work from home, kids are finishing school at home, graduations have been canceled or, or, or radically changed, weddings have been delayed, uh, or others have sought to, to stream their weddings to, to try to include those that they love. As I said earlier, even with funerals, many as they gather to grieve and seek comfort can't even have those that they love around them because they can only have small groups. It's just been a very difficult time. Uh, for many, family tensions are probably higher than any other time because everyone's home-based with the quarantine, which makes things rather difficult. But as difficult as all these things may be, what may be most difficult is what this experience has revealed to us about ourselves, about our own hearts, about our own character. 
You know, they, they say that war often reveals the character of a person. You know, there are those that you would think would be mighty warriors, and yet when they get in the midst of the battle, they find themselves cowering in the face of danger. Whereas others that you would think would be wimps, for lack of a better term, you know, prove to be heroes. Because adversity can sometimes show us more about ourselves than we want to know. And, and it's good at times for us to have those wake-up calls in our life, to see things for the way that they ought to be seen. And I think whenever we think of a wake-up call, we think of something radical, something drastic that's going to shake us. And, and that's oftentimes true. That's what a wake-up call oftentimes is. But, but as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, there's other ways that we experience wake-up calls. And, and not to be funny about this, but, you know, every evening when we set our cell phones or our alarm clocks or whatever it is we use to wake us up in the morning, whenever we, we use those things and set the alarm, we're getting a wake-up call. We want to be shaken out of the state of slumber and sleep that we're in in order to begin a new day with a fresh start. And that's what the author here of Hebrews is doing, only he is doing it not something as simple as a, a cell phone waking us up, but with something very serious to, to a number of symptoms a spiritual sickness that he detects in his congregation and those people that he loves so much. And he's wanting them to know that they are in spiritual danger. I mean, is that not the responsibility of a loving pastor who cares for his people? I mean, it's, it's, it's very easy for pastors to preach sermons that scratch people's ears and to, to have a worship service in ways that, that you know, sort of uh, meet people's felt needs. But it is difficult to confront somebody um, when they are in danger. But, but we see this over and over in the New Testament where the apostles alerted God's people to the danger signs of spiritual decay and then re-emphasized the need for fundamental priorities of the Christian life. And, and we have seen this in a number of cases already, even in this short sermon, this letter, you know, where this author has already at least four times or uh, laid out these warning signs, and he's going to do it a number of other times as well. But this is probably the most severe and troublesome of all warnings that we're going to look at, both this week and, and next week. And so I pray that God would give us attention to his word this morning, not just to hear it, but to receive it. Because like them, we may be in spiritual danger and not even know it and need that sense of a wake-up call. So what were the things, that, the symptoms that he, he pointed out to his congregation? Well, the first of which is, is they had a poor concentration. A poor concentration, and specifically a poor concentration on Christ and on the gospel. He says in verse 11, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. You know, he says, look, I, I've been, I have a lot to say to you about Jesus as your high priest and about him being in the order of Melchizedek and, and what that means for your Christian life. But, but honestly, you just can't hear it. And, and uh, what he says that they're dull of hearing, if I could put it sort of in the modern vernacular, he, he's saying that you're sort of mentally indifferent to what it is that, that I'm talking about and the things that, that I'm teaching. You know, you, you may be looking at this and you're saying, well, what is this? how does this apply to my life? Or, or why is this so important that, that I know this? You know, this idea of being indifferent or dull of hearing, is, it doesn't mean that they don't hear what's being taught, but there's a maybe a growing apathy towards the message that's being taught. Now before I talk maybe a little bit more about this idea of being dull of hearing, 
I want us to notice that he says, you have become dull of hearing. This is not something that just happened overnight. It's something sort of is a, is, is a process. And they are not maybe completely dull of hearing, but they have, are becoming that way. And, and uh, you know, most likely they have not, all, the implication is they have not always been like this. There was time when these Hebrews had listened to God's word with, with eagerness and had been diligent to apply God's word to their lives. When the gospel was first preached to them, I'm sure that it aroused their interest and it exercised their thoughts. But now for them, it had become almost a, a common thing. And, and here again, as I said, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't think that they didn't like to hear the gospel or they didn't appreciate it. But it had almost, as one person put it, they had become a sound to their ears that they had long become accustomed to. And so they didn't pay attention to it much anymore. And I think about someone who lives close to a train tracks or maybe has a church in your community that has bells that ring you know, throughout the day. And at first you notice those things when, when you live there, but as time goes on, it just becomes so common that after a while you don't even notice that they're there until you have someone come over to your house and they're like, oh, you got a train next to your house or you got a bells in, in your neighborhood. And you're like, oh yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't even hear that. And, and how often that can be for us, even as, as we, we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we start off with a strong love for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and nothing and no one could distract us from that. And yet then uh, over the years, that sometimes our, our heart grows cold, uh, we struggle, and this happens not only with individuals, but we read in Revelation, even churches, entire churches can grow cold towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said, this is oftentimes a, a process over time. So it's something that oftentimes happens slowly. It's something that sometimes we may not even recognize. And it's not something that we're either that, or you know, we're either hot or we're cold. I mean, it, that can be true. But, but oftentimes there's a sense in which God can bring to mind where we are in that process and allow us that opportunity for repentance. So, so what does he mean when he says that they're dull of hearing? Well, that word dull actually is translated in chapter 6, verse 12, as sluggish. It, it describes the state of heaviness or inertia or inactivity. You know, if you have an object... Um, where inertia is applied to it, it's, it's like permanently at rest. And the only way it's going to get moved is that there's something else that causes it to move. And so he's describing a person who's too lazy to make any effort at improvement of, of, of changing. And, and so uh, it's no wonder that as we've been reading through the book of Hebrews, as you look back at some of the texts that he said before, they make a lot more sense. Like in chapter 2, verse 1, he, he's given this warning before. He just has stated it in a different way. He said, therefore, in chapter 2, verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention. We must concentrate. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And he said, left, <coughs> we drift away from it. In other words, as we don't give attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's just a natural sense of us drifting. We don't have to do anything to drift. It just happens. And, you know, we talked about how that was a term having to do with boats and, and drifting away from the shore if it had become loose. And, and that could be what our life is looking like. But then he goes on in, in chapter 3, verse 1, and, and he even says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Focus to him. So he's even being more specific than just the gospel in general. 
but specifically the role of Christ in our lives. And then even in chapter 12, verse 2, we're going to see he's going to again say, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So the disease really that he's diagnosed here is a failure in concentration and inability to fix our hearts and our minds on Christ and to make him our chief and main object for our devotion and attention. I mean, just like we started out this morning with a larger catechism, Westminster larger catechism in that first question, you know, what's, what's the chief in a man? And, and it is to be God, but, but oftentimes it's not. Uh, William Gouge, who's an English Puritan, he actually was a member of the Westminster Assembly who put together the Westminster Confession of Faith. He's, in his commentary on this passage, he says, the duty here, in other words, for a Christian, there is a duty. It is a serious, firm, and fixed settling on the mind upon which we can hear. In other words, he's saying what the Christian needs to have as he, as he hears God's word, as he hears the gospel, as he thinks about Christ, is to have his mind firmly fixed and settled upon those things which he hears. In other words, not just to, to hear it and to go, okay, and just let it go over your head like something very common, something very familiar, but to give fresh attention to it and to uh, focus upon that. But it's more than just uh, settling your mind and concentrating on it. There's a sense of, of bowing and bending the will to yield to that word that has been spoken to. God, what does this mean for my life? How are you calling me to change, to walk in obedience? It's, it's a sense of applying it to our hearts and, and even a place of setting our affections on it. Now, when we use that word affections, we think in terms of our emotions. He's talking about more something striving. It's, it's something that we strive after. It's uh, recognizing it as something worthy of our pursuit. And so, for the Christian, as they hear God's word, it, it is hearing the teachings of Christ, seeking to understand uh, it with our minds, but also our wills to change that, to, to actively pursue that. It's really the whole sense of bringing the whole man into conformity whatever with what that message is that is being preached to us. And so for the Christian life, there, there really is a concentration that the Christian life demands. And I say demands, which is really like a, a four-letter word in much of evangelicalism today because we're like, if you demand something of someone, then you're of the law, you're not of grace. But that's not true. God gives us commands in all the time, but it's only by His grace, by His strength, by His power that He has in us that we can keep those things. And so He, the concentration of the Christian life is the ability to focus our gaze and our minds upon Jesus Christ, to devote our hearts and our lives to Him. And that, that's a basic element in real Christian growth. Of course, um, you know, there are distractions that go on around us all the time. And uh, for, for some, it, it, uh, the, the inability to concentrate is, is, is very real. But, but we also know that that inability to concentrate is a sign of immaturity. Um, kids, let me ask you a question. Have your parents ever rented a video and to watch as a family, and you sat down and you were bored with it? Okay, you, it was okay, but you know, after about 30 seconds, you were thinking about other things. You begin, you know, to fidget in your seat. You you ask for something to eat, and your parents are like, shh, quiet, just watch the movie. And and so you ask, well, can we watch something else? Can we watch Bambi instead of this or whatever? You know, and so, you know, the, 
and, and so what do your parents do? You know, they'll just say, just, just sit down and watch a movie. Just concentrate on what it is that we're doing. But if your parents really stop and think about it, they realize that, that our children don't always have the maturity that enables them to concentrate or to cope with uh, boredom creatively. And so, and, and then part of that is because as kids, you know, we're, we're sort of governed and driven by our inner desires and our instincts, the things we want. We don't really think about how we are to interact with those things around us. And so for, for little, little kids, we understand distraction, but we also understand that that is a sign of immaturity. Now, if that continues into the teenage years, or if that continues into the adult years, then that's a real problem. And I won't get into it, but I think in many ways in our society, we have allowed that to happen, and which has caused all kinds of, that's a different discussion. But, but that causes real problems because it's not a sign of maturity. And, and the author here says that some Christians are like that. They've never learned to make much spiritual progress. Spiritual focus and concentration seems to be beyond them. They seem to be dominated more by their feelings rather than by the gospel. That really what drives them is more their experiences rather than the truth of God's word. Their powers of concentration on, on spiritual realities are, are many times underdeveloped. And they find it difficult to devote their attention to Christ in, in private or in public, whether that's in prayer, whether that's in, in singing God's praises or reading his word. And so what happens is, is there becomes a vicious cycle in, in such a person's life where they can't concentrate on the word, on that which is to nourish their soul and to help them grow to maturity. And so they grow weaker, and so they neglect God's word more, and so they think less of the things of God. So they neglect the word more, so they even oftentimes think less of God himself. And that's not that they would say that they believe in God less. They just don't think of God as much. And, and this is not, don't get me wrong, this is not merely just an intellectual pursuit. I mean, it is an intellectual pursuit. Romans 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing. Okay, living out our faith, practicing our faith making that a part of our lives, only comes as we hear. And he says, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. And so as we hear God's word, that's what causes us to, to live that out. Um, so it's not merely that intellectual pursuit, but, but it is partly an intellectual pursuit. But it's one in which the renewing of that mind, as we hear God's word read and, and taught, and we think about those things, and we not only make it mindful, but we think about it in terms of our will, and our affections, that it transforms our life. And it transforms the way that we live. And so the author of Hebrews well understood that concentration on Christ, you know, doesn't just come with uh, an IQ scores. You know, if you learn more theology, if you read more in your Bible, then you're just automatically going to become more spiritual and, and fine. And, and he's saying that's, that's not the case. It's, it's a condition of the heart that's informed by the mind and the will and the affections. And so immaturity, I want you to understand, amongst the Hebrews, and even amongst us today, is oftentimes not a matter of unintelligence. It's not a matter of not being able to understand, but it's really more of a matter of being indifferent, of being dull of hearing, of being immovable, inactive, not uh, doing those things that, that uh, we're called to. Now, some people might look at us as Presbyterians and say, the problem with you people is you're too heady. 
you know, you just want to talk always about this theology and reading scripture and, and all that, that kind of stuff. And, and people I will hear say to me oftentimes, you know, people have short attention spans nowadays. And, you know, so they can only concentrate for brief matters and periods of, of time. And, I, you know, that, that argument would probably carry more weight with me if it actually proved to be true in other areas of people's lives as well. Because the truth is, is that most of us are frequently engrossed, even at long lengths of time, in our personal interests, whether that be sports or a good book or binge watching the television show or doing a project around the house or throwing ourselves into our work or whatever it might be, you know, and we'll say that we're not students or stuff, much of things, and yet we'll spend hours on the internet researching things to figure out how to do stuff. And so the problem is not our inability to concentrate. It is really that which we're concentrating on. And for those that are spiritually decaying, there's a, there's a poor concentration on the things of Christ. Uh, A.W. Pink, who's a commentator, he, he said, there are few who seem to realize that the truth has to be bought. The truth has to be bought, that it costs us something. Um, Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, understanding, all those things that we see that, that we're to seek after. You, it, it costs. Jesus sort of in, uh, said the same kind of thing in Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, when he talked about the kingdom of heaven and the rule of God over our hearts. He said, that is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and he bought it. But there's a cost to spiritual maturity. It means making spiritual matters the greatest priority, which means denying ourselves the worldly interests. If there's anybody that you know can relate to the line in the movie where they go squirrel, you know, because there's just so many distractions. I'm that person. And you know, our lives are full of those things. But but there's a sense in spiritual maturity where you, you fight against those things. If the Christian is to increase in the knowledge of God, as Paul talks about in Colossians 1.10, he has to give himself wholeheartedly to the things of God. He can't serve God and money. And, and part of that is understanding that those distractions occur, uh, but then turning to the Lord for his help to help us. And, and for many of us, we might be becoming dull of hearing, but if by God's grace we have been given that new creature, we have been given that new nature, so there is a, a longing and a hungering for God. As faint as that longing may be, that longing can only be secured by giving ourselves entirely to the tireless pursuit of God. And that's what we see in the Bible as it talks about the gospel. In 1 Peter 1.13, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, there are things that right now for you to believe, you're, you're walking by faith. You don't see it. It's not going to be a reality till Christ is revealed. But you have prepared your mind for action. Your life has changed to be conformed to those things because you believe those to be true, that God is, what He has revealed in this Word is true. But Proverbs talks about instead the soul of the sluggard, that's, that's sort of that same idea of the person who is dull to hear, he craves, but he gets nothing. Why? 
because he just sits still. There's nothing that happens. Where Proverbs says, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So what is the level of our powers of, of concentration upon Jesus Christ? That, that's one acid test of, of maturity. But then we move on to the verses 12 and, and 13 to talk about the second thing, which is a poor appetite. Not only is there a poor concentration, but a, a poor appetite. Um, it says in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Now, we, we recognize that babies, infants, that they start out and they're drinking milk, and that's how God made them. That's how he made their digestive systems, and as they mature, they'll go to pureed food, and then eventually to some solid food, soft foods, and then to eventually they'll have steak, and you know they'll be uh, all weaned off of that. And they, they'll drink milk, but that won't be their, their main diet. And really from that point in time, when, when, a, when a person gets off of the, the liquid diet, and gets on a solid diet, uh, they don't return to that liquid diet unless something is wrong in their life. Um, it, it usually is an indication that they're sick and their bodies are unable to tolerate solid food for whatever reason that might be. And so, or, or it might be that they're old and frail and maybe they're at the end of their life and their body can no longer process those things. But either way, we see that as a real danger sign. That's not good. That there's something that's wrong there. And that's where the Hebrews were. They were behaving like infants. He says, even though they had professed faith in Christ for years. I mean, you see that in verse 12. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, he said, there's a lot of time that's gone by. As a matter of fact, there's so much time that's gone by that really at this point in time, you guys ought to be teaching others the gospel of Jesus Christ, the things that I'm teaching you, you ought to be teaching them because you have walked with the Lord so long. And if you had been uh, had a focused concentration upon Christ and your appetite had been that of, of meat instead of milk, there's a sense in which you would have been teachers. Now, you might look at this passage and say, now wait a minute, Pastor Rick, you know, not everybody is called to be a teacher in the church. And that's true. Okay, granted, I, un I understand that. But, as, as you look at this, you, and you look at God's Word, you see that we are commanded in Scripture at various times and places to be teachers in other ways in our lives. For example, parents. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and the book of Proverbs, Ephesians chapter 6, you see all these instructions to parents, particularly to fathers, to instruct and train and teach their children. But even in the New Testament, in Titus 2, you see older women are to be instructing younger women. And so there, there are opportunities where we teach, where we encourage one another, where we admonish one another, where we pass on the faith to one another beyond being called to be an official teacher in, in the church. But, but rather than being able to teach other Christians, these Christians needed teaching themselves. They, as we read here, they needed the basics of the Christian faith, the ABCs of, of the gospel. And most likely what he's talking about in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, or at least covers on some of those things that, that he's referring to. But what he wants us to see here is, is that spiritual laziness not only prevents us from progressing in our faith, but it actually causes us to decline and to move backwards and to regress in our faith. 
So have they, they have not only moved on to what they should have had, but they actually have lost ground in one sense. Now, if you would, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to begin with verse 5. And, and I want you to hear the words that Peter gives and how he describes the Christian life. Think about these Hebrew Christians and the dullness of hearing, the, the lack of appetite, uh, the, the whole idea of sort of losing ground, and then contrast that with what Peter says. Peter says, 2 Peter 1.5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement or to supply your faith with virtue, that's with moral excellence, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You see that? There's a sense in which in the Christian life, there's a movement forward. There's an, uh, an understanding of, of more knowledge, uh, more application in terms of self-control, uh, which creates a, a steadfastness in the life of the believer, a brotherly affection for one another, which produces love. And, and you see that growth. And he even goes on in verse 8 and says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he, has, that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you see, that's what the Hebrew Christians had failed to do. They had failed to lay to heart the word of God. And, and what little they did know about God's word, they weren't diligent to use, and so they lost it. And so they were content to be happy with the milk, it's sort of the basics of the Christian faith, rather than moving on to deeper truths of the gospel, more mature truths of the gospel. In this case, like the offices of the priesthood of Christ. And, uh, and we see this throughout Scripture. And, and I just, I just want to make this point because I think sometimes we can oftentimes think, okay, yeah, that was just those people. But this is a more widespread problem. And it is a reality that we see even in the church. We need to be aware of this. I mean, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, he's writing to them and he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Here again, that same kind of language. He goes on in verse 2, he said, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. And then Paul goes on even beyond that in chapter 14 in verse 20, writes to these same Christians again. And he goes, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And so... You know, we see that sense in which there, there, is, there could be that temptation for us to, to drift, to decay in, in our, our walk with the Lord. But looking back at chapter 5 of Hebrews, verse 13, he goes, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That word of righteousness really is the gospel of grace. If you, if you, if you look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he, 
we read that the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. And so that's what he's talking about here. And, and he's not saying here that the, the Hebrews do not have the word of righteousness, but they're unskilled and inexperienced in, in the use of it. They, they fail to improve their understanding and their practice of the gospel. They, they didn't grasp the gospel with a maturing understanding. Which brings us to our, our third point, and that is their lack of uh, discernment, poor discernment, at verse 14. He said, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, the spiritual discernment there that he has obviously involves the ability to distinguish between good from bad, but maybe also from best, from better to best, or from important to insignificant, or from permanent, uh, from transient. You know, it's those little nuances in, in the Christian faith. And some of these early Christians lacked that kind of discernment, even so much so that they were in danger of being deceived. As we look ahead at chapter 13, verse 9, we see that these Christians had heard believable, but, but actually unbiblical teaching on what they should eat and what they should refrain from eating. And, and they had bought into the lie of the unbiblical teaching because it sounded very believable and very, and they didn't have the ability to discern. They had not conscientiously applied the knowledge that they had from God's word. And, and instead, they allowed that word to remain dead and, and unused. Because of their laziness, they were unable to distinguish between the good and the evil. They didn't examine the nuances of God's word to, to study and to know what God had to say about these matters. And I think if there's ever any matter that is uh, relevant today, it's this one uh, for the church today in America. Uh, and I must even confess in my own life, I see this more than what I'd like to see. You know, we live in a culture where everything is seen as relativistic, right? It's all relative, you know, and that has come into the church, I think, in ways that we don't even recognize. And it sounds so good and it sounds so gracious. Even for Christians, what has our mantra become? Well, let's just agree to disagree. Let's just agree to disagree. You know, in other words, let's make room for my understanding of God's Word equally with your understanding of God's Word. You know, let's not do the hard work that's necessary to dig into God's Word and to understand what God has said, to see if there's something that He has said about this that maybe I'm not aware of, such as these believers who listened to believable arguments, but they didn't realize that they were unbiblical arguments. Now, Having said that, I recognize that there are things in God's Word that are beyond us. And we can discuss these things, and we can look into these things in depth, and we will probably never agree upon these things because God just wasn't as clear in His Word as we would have liked Him to be. But at the same time, there is more that we do know that I think oftentimes more out of a sense of, of laziness, more out of a sense of lack of concentration, more out of a sense of of a milk diet instead of a meat diet, you know, we have not really looked at the things that are, are necessary to see what God's word says. And so we ought to be seeking not to what I believe about this or you believe about this, but what has God said? What can we know that he has told us from his word? And so growing in spiritual discernment 
is an essential element in spiritual maturity. But as we look at verse 14, we see that we have to have our powers of discernment trained. That's sort of an athletic term, you know? You think about training, strengthening. He even goes on and says, we are in need of constant practice, which sort of suggests working muscles to build strength. So he says, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. And I think it's important as, as we look at that, we, we must recognize that discernment takes training and development. That, you know, as we are focused upon Christ and, and as we take those things to mind, as we are eating the, the more mature meat of the Word of God and, and understanding that, and uh, then it allows us to, to, to know that and then to take that and put that into practice in terms of our life and in discernment. I mean, think about any discipline that you have. Uh, it, it takes training and development. I don't care whether it's being an athlete, whether it's being a competent soldier, whether it's being a, 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 a competent pianist, whatever it is, the, the discipline is learned by constant and careful perseverance, a pursuit of that discipline no matter what the cost. We need our spiritual senses likewise exercised as we learn to walk closer with God. But, but much like someone who's physically out of shape, uh, maybe older in their life and they know it and they want to do something about it, you know, they, they need not to start with a marathon. Um, they'll probably kill themselves. But they really need to maybe just start walking to go out and get the mail every day or, or go for a short walk. Just taking one step after another. Reading God's Word as a means to an end. And, and what I mean by that is, it's not just a matter of, of reading God's Word, but it is of uh, knowing that it is, as we read God's Word, there is a sense of having communion with Him. We, and, uh, and for those that are out of shape and out of practice... That may be with short bits, and it may be even needing some help, someone to encourage them. So maybe it's grabbing a book that uh, goes along, maybe a study that's going through the, the chapters that, that you're reading or pulling out a commentary to see what commentators say or listening to a podcast. My only caution against those kind of things is we can become so dependent upon those tools that we neglect not God's Word. And we need not to do that. But instead, uh, to keep the Word the focus but then to use those godly teachers to help us to understand that, moving from milk uh, to meat. You see, our, our lives are shaped in part by our ability to persevere in the important, but just ordinary exercises that builds Christian character, whether that's the ministry and study of the Word of God, Word and fellowship, prayer, serving the Lord day in and day out, this is what builds Christian character. But, but let me just say something here. This isn't just a matter of like pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Just go try to do these things and work harder. We must recognize that these things are, are simply means to a greater purpose. To know God in an ever-developing relationship and a bond with Him. As we pray to Him, there's that intimate fellowship. It may not feel like that right away when we start out if we've been lazy or dull in hearing or reading his word, or, or you know, coming to be with God's people in fellowship. But, but as we become strengthened in that, that we recognize and, and we understand how that gives us communion with God. And we grow in that love and affection for him and for his people. And, and so he gives us that means of grace. But I think that sometimes when we think of means of grace, 
we oftentimes get it backwards and we think of it sort of incorrectly. We think of the scriptures as if I just do these things, then this is what's going to happen. You know, if I just take these numbers and I plug them into this equation, then I'm going to get the answer that I want to get. That that's sort of how we sometimes treat our Christianity, if I, if I just do these things. But what we have to understand is, is that the means of grace are not really means of grace in our hands, but they're the means of grace in the hands of the Holy Spirit to cause us to grow. That He uses these things to change us. He uses these things to speak to us. He, he uses these things to cause us to listen to Him or for Him to listen to us. And so it's the work that God does. It's not just if I do this so many times a day or if I read my Bible or if I do these things, this is going to be the outcome. But it's a sense of submitting yourself to God and saying, God, you have told me that I am fed with your word. And I don't understand that. And I don't always feel led, but I'm going to come to you, Lord, and I'm going to read your word faithfully every day. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to look to your spirit to, to teach and instruct me. We may use helps with the things like we already mentioned. Uh, to, to help us out of that, but we're looking to His Spirit to help us. And so as we come this morning, I just think it's important for us to look at these signs of spiritual decay in our lives, and, and we may recognize some of these things. For some things, we may be farther along in our progress of decay. Other things, not so much so, and that may encourage us. But no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, it's important that this is a warning to cause us to once again maybe sure up those things that we have become locked in. Maybe we have not really uh, thought about trusting in the Lord or we've become too confident in the Bible studies we attend and the prayer meetings we go to and on all the things that we have done that we've maybe uh, looked at those apart from understanding that those are things that give us a means to relationship with God. I mean, it can happen very quickly. I mean, think about how quickly the Galatians deserted the gospel, only recently preached by the Apostle Paul. Paul was writing to them going, what? I just preached to you guys the gospel, and already you're turning from this? Or how soon after the apostolic era that the church was thrown into confusion by Gnostic errors. And so you can just imagine in our day where we are inundated with, with messages through the media that may seem plausible on the surface, but they're very seductive and dangerous and even soul-destroying. So let us remember the words of Jesus in, in, in John chapter 7, where Jesus stood up and he said, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. That's what he tells us. That's the command. Just come to me and drink. Look to me as your source. I can feed your soul. And then he goes on. He said, Whoever believes in me will flow rivers of living water. That's the promise that he gives. But then it goes on and explains that that promise is the Holy Spirit whom He will give to those who believe. And so as we come this morning, uh, our hope in the midst of spiritual decay is not that we can just maybe be more disciplined, that we can just try harder, just try to get your concentration in a better place, or make your appetite, you just need to read a little bit more heavy theological books, or, or you just need to try to be more discerning. But it's really turning to God and saying, Lord... I'm struggling. God, I'm wrestling. I'm seeing these symptoms in my life that, that are showing me that there is danger. But I'm turning to you, Lord. I'm turning to you to, to work in me, to, to renew that 
love that I have lost to, to serve you and, and to rest in you. And I will turn to you and use the means of grace that you've given to me to do these things. But Lord, I am trusting in you to answer my prayer and to change my heart. And you know what? He can do that. He can do that. He's a God who loves us more than we know. And if, if you are listening to me today and maybe you don't even know God, maybe you've actually always been sort of hostile to God, He is calling you to come to Him today, to bow your knee, to submit yourself to Him, to recognize that, that the life you've lived is in, in doing things your own way has really been in direct opposition to Him and has been sin against Him. But the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him shall have eternal life. And that life is for you. And so I encourage you to come to Him today. Please, let's bow our heads for a moment of silence and meditation. God, we thank you that our relationship with you is from grace, from first to last. And Lord, we don't deserve to have this relationship with you. And if it were not for your work in our hearts, we never would have come to faith in you. But we thank you that you are the one who not only calls us, but you are the one that preserves us. And we thank you for these men who, who love your people, who love your church so much. To, to speak the truth of, of your word. And we thank you, God, that you are the God who goes after the sheep who is wandering, that, that you will even leave the 99 and go after the one to bring that one back because they are so precious to you. Lord, if there are those sheep that need to be called back today, we pray, Lord, that you would do that. Lord, please restore us, strengthen us where, where we are weak, Lord, we pray, God, that you would renew loves that have grown cold. May they be hot and burning for you as you do your work in us and in your people. And Lord, let your church be so on fire that, God, that we, that we share this good news with those around us. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Let's uh, take your, your songbooks and... Uh, Turn to number 236 and let us sing to God be the glory.
watching and you may have a question or, or would like to, to talk with someone about the things that, that we've shared here at Kirk of the Plains as we hear God's word preached, we invite you to, to reach out to us if you do have such questions. You can get in touch with us through our website, kotp.org. Uh, you can call us on our phone or, or email and contact us. We have uh, prayer cards and stuff that uh, will get to us and we just encourage you. We'd love to talk to you about these things. Receive now God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.